0: The following is a production of JSC Media. Stay Stay ready. ready. You're listening to The People's Podcast.
1: I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. Mm. But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another.
0: This is JSC Radio. What are some of the what do you feel like are maybe some of the common misconceptions about being a beauty queen?
1: Uh, Certainly that beauty queens are not particularly smart. That is the biggest misconception for sure. And I'm not even just speaking for myself in this. It's the other women that I have gotten to know over the years. Um, Women that are exceptionally talented in terms of performing talents, uh, women who can sing, dance, and act, anybody off the stage, but also the academic achievements of many women who happen to have a crown and sash in their background. It's truly remarkable. And I think that especially, you know, before the times when anyone could be on YouTube or be a reality star, pageants gave a lot of women the outlet to perform and do something bigger than their own community and uh, their own small school district or something of that sort. So I think that that that's biggest misconception. Um, most of the women that I have known through pageants are exceptionally talented.
0: You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now, how's it going? My name is Jay Scott Smith and this is the 100 13th episode, episode 113 of this damn podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And this damn podcast name is JSC Radio, but it's also known as J. Scott Confidential. Welcome back once again, my friends, to the podcast that never flipping ends. It goes on a little bit of a hiatus, but this one is for good reason. And I'll explain it to you at the end of the podcast. How's it going, everybody? I want to thank each and every one of you who support this podcast on all the different podcast providers. That includes Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud and Stitcher, on CastBox and Overcast, on TuneIn and PodChaser, on iHeartRadio, and of course, on Spotify and everywhere else. You can get podcasts. Can't forget Google Podcasts, too. You can get this show damn near anywhere. Be sure to be, if you're going to check out the show, by the way, be sure you want to do it on YouTube. We have the best of clips. Some of the more recent stuff is on there as well. Go to bit.ly slash JSCTube to check out the YouTube pages. That thing is going to be picking up more and more and more. The reason I've been on a hiatus, again, I'll explain it at the end of this particular podcast, but there's something coming exclusively to YouTube to, to YouTube. No, to YouTube. I don't know what YouTube is. That sounds like a porn site. But to YouTube, along with IGTV. You can follow me on social media at J. Scott Smith. That's J-A-Y-S-C-O. Two T's. S-M-I-T-H. That's the same name as well on Instagram. On Twitter, I am verified. I am original. On Facebook, I'm verified as Real J. Scott Smith. For some reason, Instagram will not verify me at J. Scott Smith. Plus, the show is on all your favorite friggin' parts of social media under J-S-C-Radio. Website's coming soon, and again, bit.ly slash JSCTube to check out our YouTube page, and we also will have our videos on both my and the JSC Radio Instagram pages. So, how's it going, everybody? It's been a minute since I've been here. I'm going to make this quick before we go into the intro for this week's guest, Chelsea Lynn Rudder. The, I would almost say, she's more than a communications director for the Alzheimer's Association in New York City she's also one of my closest friends in the business and one of my closest friends in life and it's good to actually have her on here to be able to talk about her work with the Alzheimer's Association as well as just adjusting to life in New York City we both grew up in Michigan but just adjusting to life in New York City especially these days with you know what still going on but I also also just wanted to take a second just to kind of catch up with y'all had a lot of work happening because we've got a lot of things going on. And it's pretty obvious that anyone who is dealing with this podcast, who's dealt with me, knows that I've always been pretty ambitious about what it is I want to do. But in the midst of COVID-19 and in the midst of just all this silliness and all this just how the world is changing left and right around us. And I won't even get into the issues of leadership that this particular country has or running into how so many people's lives have changed. The fact that throughout this, this podcast has been a great outlet for me, and it will continue to be so. And this is kind of a word that goes out to all the people who are creatives out there, the ones who are coming up with your own thing, trying to stay in your own lane and create your own lane. Keep going. I'm more than happy to help you. And as I will tell you all at the end of this particular episode, that you definitely are going to need all the help you can get getting through on here. Because this has kind of opened up a brand new world, per se. Part of the reason I've been able to do this podcast the way I've been able to do it for as long as I've been able to do it is I'm generally not afraid of learning new things. I had to teach myself graphic design, I had to teach myself how to edit video. I already knew how to edit audio, but I had to come up with a more streamlined way of doing it. Having to learn how to do interviews left and right. This interview that you will hear and see on the YouTube page was done via Zoom, which is the new technology out here. I normally use Skype, but Chelsea was available on Zoom, so we decided to go the Zoom route for this one. So it may have a couple of little issues with lag. I tried to take care of that on the podcast feed as well, because, again, I'm surgical on that Adobe Audition, which, by the way, is also available on our Amazon page at Amazon.com shop slash Smith. Be sure to check that out. Got a great deal on Adobe Audition on that page. All of you who are creatives out there, a word to the why. If you're going to do it, go all in on it. If you're going to do this, get after it because this is not a game. Being a creative, as I have found out in the last 18 months, is not a game at all. I come to you from my bathroom. Again, I've mentioned why I sit in here. This is the best room acoustically in this entire apartment. I do this knowing that I'm going to look like a goofball, but I'm sitting here in a Mario Kart t-shirt in my bathroom doing a podcast because I enjoy what I do. And I see a lot of podcasts springing up, a lot of people trying to do video series. At the end of this particular episode, because we're about to go into the interview with Chelsea, at the end of this particular episode, I'll have a way to help you out. Especially if you're just getting going on the DIY tip when it comes to you doing podcasts. But for right now... Let's get ready to bring our guest in here. I'm not going to commercial break. We're going right into it. And our guest for this episode is my good friend, Chelsea Lynn Rudder. She's an author, communications professional, journalist, blogger, and she's done a little bit of everything. Her work has appeared everywhere from the Huffington Post to the Griot. We talk about this in the conversation and several other publications around New York City. Chelsea has a background in government politics and public relations, and she also worked for the New York City Council and is currently, as mentioned, the Director of communications for the Alzheimer's Association of New York City. She also hosts a podcast called All's Talk New York. It should be known that a reason that this is also very close to my heart is because my late uncle passed away after a 10-year battle with Alzheimer's and dementia. In 2009, she was named one of the most beautiful people in New York City politics by City Hall Newspaper, which is now known as City and State. Those of you who will be watching this on the video feed will see why this is. She is gorgeous. She's the vice chair of the WNET Channel 13 Community Advisory Board and is an appointee to the board of trustees of their local PBS affiliate up there holding a master's degree in global affairs from NYU and a BA in communications and political science from Pace University, a native of Rochester Hills, Michigan, which is about 20, 25 minutes or so north of the city of Detroit is also the former Miss Michigan Teen USA. And she's even written a book called Ladylike Lessons, a guide to feminine empowerment, elegance and etiquette that's available on Amazon.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to J. Scott Confidential, the 113th episode of the People's Podcast. One of the best people I know and one of my closest friends, Miss Chelsea Lynn Rudder. Let's get down to business, everybody. This is a presentation of JSC Media. First off, hi Chelsea.
1: <laughs> hi Jason, how are you? I'm I'm doing okay.
0: It's, as always, it's great to see you, Chelsea. As I've mentioned in the in the intro here, Chelsea and I have been friends for years. And the first time I saw Chelsea was actually here in
1: Philadelphia. What, that's what, true
0: nine years ago now
1: when, <laughs> wow happy I, anniversary I know right it's like 2011 it doesn't seem like that long ago but right
0: uh, Chelsea and I have known each other forever and I met her at the uh, NABJ convention here in Philadelphia nine years ago and we were both on kind of our own paths I guess you could say I was in the midst of finishing up graduate school and you were you were in the midst because I think we were both we were both doing Brio stuff around the same time yeah,
1: I had recently finished grad school as well, just that semester, and we met at the National Association of Black Journalists Conference at the GRIO, um, what was it, like a panel discussion, yeah, it was and, a, it was and place you place. stood up and asked a question and said that you were from Detroit, and I was like, we have to meet because I'm from the Detroit area too, and it, that's how our great friendship began. And
0: I, you know, I remember she walks up to me and I just see this. This stunningly beautiful woman walk up to me, and I think initially you were talking to somebody else. (laughs) It's like, oh, you are talking to me. (laughs) But we've been (laughs) been good ever since. And the nine years that have passed have seen us take all these different routes. I eventually ended up back in Philadelphia. You are in New York City, and you've been there. How long have you been in New York City?
1: Oh, at this point, I'm just saying ten years in my entire adult life. (laughs) (laughs) I came here for undergrad. I came here for undergrad. I went to undergrad at Pace University. And um, as I mentioned, I I went to grad school, uh, which was at NYU. And I really have loved being a New Yorker. And honestly, even though the COVID-19 pandemic has been really tough on New York, this experience has only firmly secured my position on being a New Yorker. So I'm proud to stick it out at this tough time. And it's it's really been a ride living here in New York City, but I, I'm proud to do it. So
0: what has it been like up there? I know obviously we're both in East Coast cities. Philly and South Jersey have had their own issue with it, but New York obviously being the epicenter of everything. How has it been kind of living daily life up there? I know you haven't been able to <laughs>
1: It's live in a while. been sh- It's been challenging, especially for someone like myself, who is not a homebody by nature. When I was a child, I would get cabin fever really quickly, even over the summer months when I wasn't going to school every single day. So um, I'm the type of person that likes to have a lot of activity that takes me away from my home. But I've adjusted, and it really shows that people can be uh, adaptable. I actually, I I probably shouldn't say this, but I did take the subway earlier today. And as long as there aren't other people on the car with you, it it feels safe. And I wear a mask every time I go outside. I've been wearing a mask every time I leave my physical apartment since about mid March. And as long as social distancing is respected, it it feels comfortable to go to the grocery store. go to Target, which are my main hangouts at this point. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I I, I feel safe. I I know that it's been a challenging time. A lot of people have been sick. Thank goodness I have not been one of them. Um, But I think as long as you are vigilant about the precautions, it's possible to remain in a densely populated urban area like New York City and and stay safe at this time. So I, I think that people that have lived here and in other areas where we really felt the brunt of the pandemic have been able to bear okay, but it, it's been tough. And I think being able to depend upon our resources, our family members, our friends, and the community at large has has really helped to sustain many of us. And I was listening to some, something earlier today where it talked about the fact that this pandemic has shown us that the ways that we live, work, pray, and play can adapt to a new reality. And and I think that I've been able to do it. And I know a lot of people living in New York City and other places that have been hit hard have been able to do that as well. And it shows you that you can train your brain to do a lot of different things and, and get through it and make it sustainable.
0: What is it like when you have to go into work? I know, I'm guessing at certain points, you probably had to work from home and things of that nature. But with what you do with the with the, uh, the Alzheimer's uh, Foundation up there, for example, that I know that keeps you busy. So how is it- It
1: definitely it, uh, does.
0: Making that adjustment.
1: So I'm director of communications for the Alzheimer's Association in New York City. We've been working remotely. So from home since early March, we took the step when the governor and the mayor recommended that people not travel on the subway during peak transit times, rush hour times, because it wasn't clear how this illness is being transmitted. So we took the early step to work, and I honestly thought that I was going to be working remotely for a couple of weeks. I would get to sort of create my own schedule and do things in my own time, go to my pure bar workout classes in the morning and start working at 10 a.m., and things would be very comfortable and casual. Well, Within a week, um, Pure Bar, my church, everything shut down. And uh, those were really sort of the main social activities that I depended upon here to sustain me um, since I, I don't have close family members in New York City. So when that changed and everything went to virtual, it felt a little crazy, I'll be honest with you. And it was tough. me back to Michigan, um, as I mentioned before, from about 30 minutes north of Detroit and being with my mom there. But I decided to stick it out for um, a few reasons. Um, you know, One, like I said, I feel very connected to the city and I feel like I need to be here. Um, but also the work that I do, working for the Alzheimer's Association, I was able to do it physically, remotely, in my apartment, in my home. But I felt strongly that it's important for me to stay in the community and be a part of what other New Yorkers are experiencing so I can reflect that appropriately in our communications efforts for the organization.
0: So how did you first get in contact with the, uh, the Alzheimer's Association just in terms of working with them? What, what first drew you to that? And what type of passion do you have for the research for, Alzheimer's, for, for the Alzheimer's Foundation as a part of? Because I mean, full disclosure, my uncle passed away in 2013. He battled Alzheimer's for 10 years. And I had seen what that does to you. It started as dementia, eventually went into full-blown Alzheimer's. It, it does terrible things to people and it kind of takes away our older relatives so quickly. What is it about working with this foundation that drives you to to do this work? Because I know they do amazing work there because even through the context, we had Michigan at the time when he was going through it. What has brought you toward working for this foundation and, and its mission?
1: I've been working in healthcare communications for a number of years, doing press, working as a press secretary for the largest healthcare workers union in the country and also for New York City's public healthcare system. And when I found out about the role at the Alzheimer's Association, I was really interested because unfortunately, I am someone who has been directly touched by dementia myself. My father had a major stroke when I was going into my junior year of high school, and about two years after that, he started to develop vascular dementia or stroke-related dementia. And um, in the ensuing 10 years, he was really in a state of decline in terms of his health. And um, the dementia made it very challenging. My mom was his primary caregiver, as well as continuing on work in her full-time role as a um, administrator and a counselor with the public school system in in Michigan. So it really impacted our family. And as I got more um, involved with my role at the Alzheimer's Association, I came to find out that uh, dementia in particular has a disproportionate impact on communities of color, especially the black American community. And although Alzheimer's itself, which is the most common form of dementia, still has a lot of unknowns in terms of why people develop it, how it might run or not run in families in terms of a genetic connection. But other forms of dementia, like vascular dementia, which is what my father had, stroke-related dementia, is definitely preventable because it's connected to another chronic illness um, hypertension. Um, in my case, my father had hypertension that was caused by unre- unregulated diabetes. Um, the two chronic conditions that I've just mentioned have um, really wreaked havoc in the Black community and um, can have other health conditions connected to them, like the dementia that you know really made the last decade of my father's life challenging. And so seeing that and knowing that that type of dementia in particular is preventable has made me passionate about spreading the word about how to protect yourself if you do have a chronic condition like dementia, like or if you have a chronic condition like hypertension or diabetes. There are ways to live with those chronic conditions. And- and regulate your health so that you can live a comfortable and healthy life and don't develop additional illnesses like dementia that really take you away from a healthy, prosperous lifestyle and take you away from your family members. So that's something that I'm really passionate about and making sure I spread the word about making sure that people of color, particularly in the Black community, um, regulate those illnesses and stay as healthy as possible Um, And also the secondary level of it in terms of Alzheimer's in particular, not enough research has been done on African-Americans in particular to understand why Alzheimer's itself has such a disproportionate impact on the Black community. And because of that lack of research, we're not sure that when eventually we do find some sort of really solid treatment or cure for Alzheimer's, if it'll work for the type of Alzheimer's that's uh, impacting our loved ones. And That's why it's really been a passion of mine, and, and something we make sure attention is brought to in terms of the communications work that I do for the Alzheimer's Association.
0: I don't. I think maybe because oftentimes we'll have a misunderstanding about such things as dementia. that People just think, oh, it's just somebody who's getting old, and it just comes with age. But I've heard of people as early as really in their late, in their mid to late 40s, even developing dementia. I think it's. Uh, I think it was Pat Summit who was the legendary head coach, University of Tennessee. She was barely, I think she was in her mid 50s when she first had that onset of dementia that eventually, uh, dementia, uh, Alzheimer's that eventually she ended up dying from. I guess that's the, it it helps get a better understanding of it because it really does, it, and it does have almost like every health issue, it seems, has a greater effect on the black community more so, the black and brown communities more so than anything else. Where, where, when it comes to some of the work that the Alzheimer's Foundation does, particularly in New York City, the largest city in the country, one of the most diverse cities in the country. What kind of work is being done out there, like with different organizations, even in the midst of COVID-19, being able to do some of the work you guys are doing? What else is? What else are you guys doing out there currently?
1: Sure, and, and to address what you said about Pat Summit. so I believe she had early onset Alzheimer's, which is um, what it's called when the diagnosis is made, when the person is underneath the age of 65. And the point you made is very correct. Alzheimer's and dementia is not a normal part of aging. It is definitely something that needs to be diagnosed, that needs to be treated, so that although it is a degenerative disease, that family members and the person living with the disease can make plans for how they want to live out the remainder of their life, um, enjoying and living the best life possible considering their diagnosis. So it's definitely not a normal part of aging and never should be be considered. Um, in terms of the work that the Alzheimer's Association is doing, not just in New York City, but throughout the country, we are a nationwide organization. And a a quick plug, um, you can reach the Alzheimer's Association at 1-800-272-3900. That's a nationwide 24-7 helpline. We have very quickly moved our programming from the real world to the virtual world. And we're meeting people where they are now, which is at home. So all of our programs and services, including our caregiver consultations, support groups, programming for people living with the disease, has moved to either the telephone or to a Zoom call, like what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And so we are still very much accessible and reachable for people even during this pandemic. And I have to say it's really been a joy to understand how much those services are appreciated um, although covid nineteen is is not more likely to occur in people with dementia. Uh, because people with dementia tend to be older and um, they have a difficult time remembering to do things, which include um, maintaining healthy hygienic habits that help to prevent COVID-19, we've seen that a lot of people with dementia have um, suffered a disproportionate impact from this pandemic. And as a result, their caregivers and their loved ones have definitely needed our support. And the Alzheimer's Association has been there for them 24-7 throughout this pandemic.
0: So as we go... I guess as we're going forward with this, because it seems like almost as if COVID has kind of become, it's going to become, a, until we can get a vaccine for this, it's going to be kind of like looming over daily life. When, and you made up, you just made an interesting point there. Like there are people who are dealing with degenerative diseases, such as, as dementia and, and Alzheimer's and whatnot. How can, say if you have someone, like obviously if mine we still here, for example, if if you have someone who's dealing with dementia and you're in this time period, what, what what are some of the things like people will recommend for caring for someone who has dementia, Alzheimer's, while also trying to be wary of the dangers of coronavirus?
1: Sure. So in my work in communications, um, because a lot of my role Really, and until recently, the role focused on doing media relations and press outreach. So I speak to caregivers um, and connect them with reporters doing stories. And, and of course, recently, a lot of reporters have been interested in learning about how caregivers and people living with dementia are living through this pandemic. And um, some of the caregivers have expressed that they have been able to sort of um, just transition their lives. Um, Oftentimes, if the person is still living at home with them, they've been able to make sure they get their groceries and other needs maintained through, um, you know, sometimes volunteer community services where people will bring groceries to them or um, grocery delivery services. And um, people who have previously uh, had home health aides come to the house have decided they don't want ongoing back and forth in and out of the home. So they've maybe decided to suspend those services, which of course puts the full burden of caregiving on um, the primary caregiver within the home. Uh, the other side of this, which I, I do really feel for and I know has been challenging, are people with loved ones in nursing homes or other long-term care facilities because out of a abundance of caution and out of a serious need for caution – most of those facilities are no longer allowing visitors. And because the people who work in those facilities are overburdened in terms of making sure that the residents get the care that they need, sometimes it's not possible to maintain the communication with the loved ones um, who are no longer able to physically visit uh, the person that's living within the nursing home. So those situations have really been challenging. Um, We certainly recommend that uh, caregivers Um, make every effort to plan ahead for how they're going to communicate um, if if their loved one is out of the home and nursing home with their um, caregivers within the nursing home, how they might be able to with their loved one, how that will be facilitated. Um, And then also if they're within the home um, and doing the primary caregiving, if the primary caregiver does become unwell. So we've been um, continuing to meet with people and offer um, suggestions and tips and uh, backup plans and and help to really navigate this new reality in this difficult and, and unusual time.
0: So in all the work you've done, and now I know you also host a talk show. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about this talk show that you do. Give me the name of it, so I make sure because I don't want to say the name wrong. I see it written, down, <laughs> but I want to say the name wrong. Tell me how you, <laughs> tell me more about this talk show, and, and how long have you been doing it? What like what are some of the stories? You know, like, really, give me a rundown of this thing.
1: Sure. So it's All's Talk New York. It's a, at this point, bi-weekly talk show that discusses the issues, concerns, ideas, and, you know, personal celebrations of people who are impacted by Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. Um, right now, as the name mentions, All's Talk New York, it does focus on guests who are in the state of New York. Uh, but really, the show has something and is relatable for anyone who's been impacted by dementia, whether or not not they live in the state of, or the city of New York. So um, I'm actually coming out with a third episode on Thursday, uh, where we're going to talk about the walk to end Alzheimer's, which is the world's largest event that raises awareness for Alzheimer's and dementia research and also funds to invest in that research. So one day we will have the first survivor of Alzheimer's. And um, my second episode talked with a um, a researcher who does Alzheimer's and dementia research. Um, actually, it's it's funny, Jason, because although um, I just met this year, he's a member of our board of directors. He's also from the Detroit area too. It's so crazy. Like there's always it's right, it's so everywhere. many connections. I know it's it is it, everywhere. <laughs> we are everywhere, doing a lot of amazing work. Um, So uh, this researcher, his name is Jermaine Ross. He has a PhD in neuroscience. And he actually, unfortunately, uh, like my father, his father had vascular dementia, which eventually turned into Alzheimer's. And so he was... Um, in his process of becoming a researcher when his father developed this diagnosis. And he talked about sort of the perspective that he was able to bring to it um, with the, the difficult and more clinical understanding of the process with his own loved one going through dementia and uh, we also talked about the research that's happening right now and, and why there's a need to involve um, more more African-Americans in particular in Alzheimer's research. Um, and the first episode was with a longtime volunteer, uh, Ashley Marie Davis. She's actually the reigning Miss Queens 2020. And um, unfortunately, her family was touched by dementia as well. Um, her great both of her great grandparents who raised her um, had different forms of dementia. And so um, in her competitions with uh, the Miss America system, she has taken on Alzheimer's and dementia awareness as her platform. And uh, she's been a a passionate and able volunteer on a lot of levels, definitely raising awareness in terms of Alzheimer's and dementia and how it impacts um, people throughout the country. Uh, But I have to say big shout out to Ashley because, um, you know, we kind of took on this project as as a volunteer week, which was at the end of April, uh, something to do to, you know, do something fun, interesting for our social media channels for the Alzheimer's Association. And uh, in her diligence as a volunteer, she's actually helped me by continuing to edit edit the subsequent episodes. So I've been very thankful for the help that I've received from others in my effort to get this project off the ground.
0: Now, the thing about Chelsea is she's one of the most gracious people you'll ever meet. She's unbelievable. As you heard there, she's gotten a lot of help, but what she's doing at the Alzheimer's Association in New York City is amazing. But when we come back, we're going to talk about another aspect of what she's done in her life, which has kind of helped shape who she is. Because, again, she wasn't just simply the one of the smartest women I've ever met. She's also had a history in beauty pageants. And she talks about how her life as a teen beauty queen has actually helped set the table for her work as an adult in New York City, plus ever the social butterfly. She also talks to us about what her life in New York City has been, as well as what led her to writing her book. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 113th episode of The People's Podcast. We'll be back with Chelsea Lynn Rudder after this. You're listening to The People's Podcast. I'm not going to be responsible for what happens next. This is JSC Radio.
1: Social distancing slows the spread of coronavirus, so we all need to stay home to lower the risk for everyone. More info at ny.gov slash coronavirus. Let's all do our part. Because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by New York State and the Ad Council.
0: Hey now, Jay Scott Smith here. Of course, you know, I am the host of JSC Radio, which you have heard on Stitcher from the very beginning. Because in case a lot of you don't remember, Stitcher was the first major podcast platform to pick up my show. And now they want to give something back to each and every one of you listeners on Stitcher. Introducing Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free, mind you, with Stitcher Premium for only $4.99 a month or, if you prefer, $34.99 a year. You can get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and so much more. Listen to shows like the Fantasy Footballers ad-free. Or you can get shows like Dunk on Basketball and, of course... JSC Radio. Simply go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. That's stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today, and when you go there, drop in the promo code JSC. We get you one free month of Stitcher Premium. Don't ever say I ain't do nothing for y'all. Remember, it's stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today, and get one month free by dropping that promo code JSC. S C. It's just that simple, baby. Get on Stitcher Premium right now, and you can get the best in podcasting. You're listening to The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. This is the 113th episode of The People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC. JSC Radio. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here, checking in from the beautiful JSC Radio studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And yes, that means I'm still recording in my bathroom. But that doesn't matter to you because you can't see me anyway. I want to shout out everybody who supports this show again on all the different podcast providers, but especially on iTunes, on Spotify, and on Stitcher as well as CastBox. Thank you so much for supporting this show wherever you listen to it, wherever you are around the damn world. And be sure to, um, to be sure to subscribe. I'm, I'm still learning the whole YouTube thing. Be sure to subscribe to our page on YouTube, bit.ly slash JSCTube. Don't just subscribe. Be sure to ring that bell for notifications because there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up in the very near future on the J. Scott Confidential YouTube page. I'll have some info on that coming up at the end of this podcast. I also want to shout out my man, Doc Gillingsworth, as well as Awesome Jones. They are the forces behind the majority of the music you hear on the show. Plus, if anybody wants to get at me and get their music on this show, shoot me a DM on Twitter at JSC Radio or hit me up with an email JSCRadio at gmail.com So now, We get back to our conversation with Chelsea Lynn Rudder and we pick things up talking about her life as a teen beauty queen. Because as we mentioned at the top of this show, she at one time won a beauty pageant. If you see in the video, if you're watching the video, I should say, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. you find out more about her teen beauty queen past and how it set the table for the great work she's doing now in New York City. My name's Jay Scott Smith. And this is the 113th episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Let's get back to our conversation with Chelsea Lynn Rudder. You're listening to The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. It's an interesting point you made there as you brought up that she was Miss Queens. Because I know, obviously knowing you, and I mentioned it in the intro as well, you (laughs) have a bit of a history in beauty pageants yourself. And this goes back to... when. (laughs) When we're in Michigan, anybody who can see the video clearly. Like I mentioned, I'm seeing this beautiful woman walk up to me at this convention, and I thought to myself, she looks like she's probably been in the beauty pageant. Turns out <laughs> you
1: were a teenager you were. So, yes,
0: <laughs> give me a little bit of your your background because you would be the second person to you've been the second person on this show to have to have won a beauty or at least won some beauty pageant. Jennifer Caudle was Miss Iowa in 1999. She's she's the first one, so it's like I tend to run in these circles apparently, but I i know you i've known you for a while and you've told me this story but please i guess enlighten some of the listeners for the first time (laughs) your your pat your 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 past as a teen beauty queen
1: sure so like you said my my mom would say i'm a has been beauty queen (laughs) <laughs> and I, I hold the the moniker very proudly. I actually grew up doing pageants uh, in Michigan and throughout the country. I, I started competing when I was six years old. And I know that sometimes child beauty pageants have a, a bit of a negative connotation, but Honestly for me, it was an excellent activity to help me to learn more about myself in the world. Um, I've always loved performing and competing and it really was an excellent outlet for me growing up. And also I would say that I enjoyed spending that quality time with my mother. The time that we spent rehearsing, picking out costumes, coming up with strategies for what would give me the competitive edge when I competed in a pageant really is quality time I look back on. And it, we both really laugh and smile and reminisce when we think about those times. So when I was a senior in high school, I did win the Miss Michigan Teen USA pageant. And it, it really was a, a wonderful experience. I got to travel around the state. One of the best parts was I was an ambassador for the Michigan Special Olympics. I attended the winter and summer games and really met people who as athletes were able to conquer um, some of those challenges in Life that many don't think about, and, and many don't have to persevere through. And one of the most exciting parts was, um, as I mentioned, my mom was a, um, a middle school educator, and at the Winter um, Olympic, the Winter Special Olympics in Traverse City, I was able to participate in the opening ceremony with students and athlete students from my mom's middle school. So that was a really special memory. And it was something that I will always look back on and cherish, even though, uh, you know, at this point, it was some time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I but um, I, 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 I enjoyed the moment. Uh, thank you, Jason. And this is why we are such great friends. <laughs> <laughs> <I> <laughs> but it, it, it really was them. a great experience <laughs> for me. I, exactly. You, you definitely do. <laughs> um, so it was a great experience. Um, I loved being Miss Michigan Teen USA. Definitely cherished memories. And and something that has helped to guide me throughout my life I think one thing that people don't understand about competing in pageants in that world is you learn a lot of lessons that you can take with you. And I call them my beauty queen transferable skills and utilize throughout the rest of life. And, you know, sometimes it's thinking skills and knowing how to have that competitive edge when you're competing for a job or maybe just navigating the corporate world in the workplace. And sometimes, and I have to say, when I was uh, working for a union, I was in quite a few you parades and marches. And sometimes, you know, the old beauty queen wave is a transferable <laughs> skill as well. So <laughs> I, I tell you, it, it was a really great experience for me. And I, I learned a lot that I still utilize on a day to day basis.
0: What are some of the what do you feel like are maybe some of the common misconceptions about being a beauty queen?
1: Uh, certainly that beauty queens are not particularly smart. That is the biggest misconception for sure. And I, I'm not even just speaking for myself in this, it's the other women that I have gotten to know over the years. Um, Women that are exceptionally talented in terms of performing talents, uh, women who can sing, dance and act anybody off the stage, but also the academic achievements of many women who happen to have a crown and sash in their background. It's truly remarkable. And I think that especially, you know, before the times when anyone could be on YouTube or be a reality star, Pageants gave a lot of women the outlet to perform and do something bigger than their own community and uh, their own small school district or something of that sort. So I think that that's the biggest misconception, the biggest misconception. Um, most of the women that I have known through pageants are exceptionally talented and exceptionally smart.
0: Well, and obviously having been around you for the last, it's still crazy. It's almost 10 years. not a time I've known you. For-
1: I know. <laughs> uh,
0: it, clearly. Brilliant, a brilliant woman. Just from talking to you, it's just like everyone. If anyone's around Thank you for like maybe <laughs> minutes, they'll figure that out pretty quickly. What led you from? What led you toward media? Because there have been so many different things you could do. How did you end up in this ridiculous world that a lot of us have been in on the media end? Because I know prior to being in communications, you also were a writer, and occasionally you still do write. We'll get to the book that you wrote as well.
1: You, of course. Really, Shameless plug. Of course. I'm, all, hey, that's I'm, here. I'm, here. I'm here to put over people I know. That's
0: why, that's why I have you on I, I, I look at you, You're obviously you've got this history in media, and communication. What was it that first inspired you to get into that end of things?
1: Sure, so I have to say, I always really had the ambition of of going into journalism and it's something that I pursued as an intern throughout uh, high school, starting in high school and in college. And I was an intern on a local public affairs show the summer after I graduated from college. But simultaneously, I was an intern at the New York City Council for a uh, council member who represented um, Northern Manhattan, part of Harlem, which I know many people know. And so that is what sort of veered me off the course of, I thought, going into broadcast journalism. That was my path. Um, So I ended up really enjoying that internship I did with the New York City Council. And at the end of that summer, they had an opening for executive director of their Black, Latino, and Asian caucus, of which the council member I was working for was co chair and I just thought, well, I'll throw my name in the ring. I don't have the experience. I just finished undergrad. They're never going to consider appointing me to this position. And lo and behold, a couple of months later when they held the interviews, I was appointed to the position. So that's how I got involved with government and politics in New York City. And I tell you, I really loved it. And I'm still really involved with New York on that level. And It was something that captivated me. I loved feeling like I was in the know, like I would watch, um, you know, not even just local television, but sometimes even national TV and news and see people that I regularly talked with and had meetings with. And I just knew what was really happening with the city from a grassroots level. So I enjoy government and politics, and one of the things that I enjoyed most about my role as executive director of the Black Latino and Asian Caucus, because it's a sort of jill of all trades role. Like that sounds like a fancy title, but I was everything from the intern to the executive director. So one of the things I enjoyed most was communications work, acting as a media liaison, press secretary, spokesperson for the organization. And so um, you know, I put that in my back pocket. Actually, at the time when I was working in government, I started to pursue working as a reporter professionally. I started reporting for a local paper that is in lower Manhattan where I live and I started writing for the Huffington Post at the time and I was also working on my master's degree in international relations and so I did a portion of my graduate thesis on the Huffington Post is like reported pieces and uh, commentary pieces. And so when I finished grad school and this is around the time when we met Jason, I was really looking to dive headfirst and get into working as a reporter. And I worked as a reporter for the Griot. And and what Jason hasn't said is it was totally based upon his helpful connections to the Griot that got me that work. So thank you again, Jason.
0: I I, I am happy to help. (laughs) That's my main thing. I I will say this is kind of giving a little background here. Like when she walks up, to me Philadelphia because the first thing I'm just because I thought you look you look like a tv news anchor first time I saw you I'm thinking she's got to work at somebody's television station she has the the presentation you have the, the this poise everything else it's like I could just picture you sitting at a news desk and when you mentioned to me that you were thinking of getting into writing I'm just thinking well I know how I can I obviously know people who kind of help get you in there at least get you in front of them because Chelsea can charm her way in any room she wants to, just because <laughs> and just her, her talent. But actually, seeing what she could do, she's extremely gifted, as it shows now. Extremely gifted. So, I mean, if I any role I played in helping you out, all I did was maybe crack the door open for you. You did the you did the heavy lifting once you got in there.
1: it was certainly appreciated. So um, as a result of that introduction, I did work for the GRIO for a little over a year doing reporting assignments, and it was really great. I mean, I was able to do some really interesting on-the-ground reporting work. I remember right after um, the... Hurricane Irene, which came the year before Sandy that people don't think about as much anymore. I got on a bus at six o'clock in the morning and went to Patterson, New Jersey, which was actually pretty hard hit by the hurricane. Uh, I went into the depths of Occupy Wall Street and reported on that, which incidentally was actually not far from my apartment. So it was a great experience, as what happens with a lot of people that end up not spending their full career in journalism and reporting. Uh, It's a very expensive city, New York City, (laughs) to live in. Very expensive. And New York, in particular. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so and I also thought about it, I'm definitely capable of uh, acting as a reporter, playing things down the middle, not inserting my viewpoint. But I I had that background in government and politics. I like to insert my viewpoint. So Mm -hmm. I started to think, okay, maybe a role in media relations, press secretary work, spokesperson work would be a good fit for me as well. So that's when I really transitioned into being a, quote, communications professional. And sort of by chance, because the the first role as I that I had as a press secretary was for the largest healthcare workers union, which sort of put me down this track of doing healthcare communications in particular. So uh, you know, the government and politics is very much still there and really still actively involved in that work and that that stuff in New York City, I guess you could call it. But um, I have really focused more on healthcare communications professionally in the last few years. And it's been a good fit for me because as we all know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And particularly yes exactly exactly and we see how health this healthcare story in the media world is really impacting every single one of us and so it's been good for me to be able to understand what's happening on a on a different level because of my experience you know working for the largest public healthcare system nyc health and hospitals working for another large new york city based healthcare system before that and i really understand what it's like being in the hospital setting and also so you know, working directly with the community, which is what I'm really most passionate about, making sure that New Yorkers and really everyone understands how they can best take care of their health.
0: With all the, all the other things you have done and you've worked your way through all the different areas in media and obviously dealing with health and everything else, has there ever been a point where you thought of actually getting into politics and running for some sort of office, whether it's in New York City <laughs> or something else? Because I, I, I asked that because you clearly, you at least have an understanding from the inside. But would you ever even think of running for any sort of political office, knowing what you know and the work right that you've done previously?
1: That's a great question. I don't have any announcements to make right now, but it's definitely something I've considered and is not off the table. <laughs> <laughs> and I promise you will be one of the first to know, Jason. Well, but um, in, in all... all <laughs> and also I think being an elected official is a, is a high honor it's something that I would take very seriously if my own community thought that there was a position that would be right for me and that I would be a good fit to represent the community that out and if called to serve in that capacity it's definitely something I would consider and that I'm open to but I don't have any immediate plans to run for office at this time
0: <laughs> uh, that's totally understandable I know that you've um You've written a book before too. Yes. And I remember yes. the whole process you went through on this book, the book Ladylike Lessons. Yes. Now to know Chelsea is to understand that it's also like you're almost dealing with in a good way. You're dealing with someone who's all about etiquette, the proper way to handle yourself. There's a like I mentioned before, Chelsea walks in a room and it's like it's instant professionalism. But that's <laughs> that doesn't that when you get into business that's something that i can tell you were raised with please explain to the people about ladylike lessons <laughs> a book that is still currently available on amazon by the way but please yes tell about ladylike lessons and kind of what inspired you to not only write that book but also kind of it's a way of life for you
1: yes ladylike lessons available on amazon.com as jason said <laughs> It's a lifestyle book with an emphasis on etiquette, but really it's more than etiquette. I would say that it is an overview of a person who has lived for more than 10 years in lower Manhattan who has kind of had that um, I would say sex in the city ask a lifestyle and has lived through it but I have also been able to manage life in New York City uh, with a flair and um, with a sense of a Midwestern um, I would say refinement that has really served me well uh, the whole whole time I've been in New York City. So it's how to live a refined life in a modern world. And it's definitely a book that goes into dating and a little bit into my own personal anecdotes in terms of dating, uh, living in social situations and how to navigate things, how how to navigate the business and professional world. So it's a, it's a fun read, definitely has some tips. It's called Ladylike Lessons, but I've been told by many male readers that they found a lot that they could learn from it as well. And it's also a fun read, so I, I recommend it.
0: <laughs> I will say that as someone who's actually read it, yes, it is a very fun read. <laughs> it kind of gives you a greater, a greater sense of who Chelsea is, aside from, definitely. aside from everything else. And yes, I know some people who want to be, be a smart ass. Yes, there is such a thing as being refined and from the Midwest. Thank you very much. <laughs> i
1: i never would have thought somebody would say that there was a contradiction in those terms so you know it shows you my bias but <laughs> unfortunately having lived in
0: philadelphia the last five years everyone thinks anybody who lives in the midwest is sitting on a farm or we've got cattle and like no like there are actual cities and real places out there aside from just the cornfields of the midwest and I'm i'm shouting out detroit and chicago specifically but there, we're, we're, not a, we're not a bunch of, we're not a bunch of just, just country people, even though we have a little bit, and actually to be honest, living in that part of the country, if nothing else, you do tend to become a little bit, you understand manners and refinement and how to talk to people, how to deal with people, how men should, how men should be a lot better toward women, for a, new, for a multitude of reasons, how we should be better toward women, but just in just the most basic sense of just in terms of dating and relationships. We could learn... We, People can stand to learn a lot from those of us in the Midwest.
1: Exactly. And as I say in the book, chivalry isn't dead. It's on life support, and we need to revive it. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity in, in everything. You know, I, I have learned so much about dating and how it has evolved in the last few years as somebody who has had the opportunity, I'll say, to go online and date via the apps in the last couple of years. <laughs> um And, you know, navigating that process, especially being in a metropolis like New York City, it is, it is very interesting. Um, You know, but I've had some very fun and outlandish and crazy tales that I delight my girlfriends and, you know, even Jason sometimes with. And people say, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. But, you know, there's been ebbs and uh, there's been an ebb and flow. Um, You know, there's peaks and valleys. So I've I've met my exciting whirlwind romance, trips to far flung locations, and I've had those valley moments as well. So <laughs> it's been an interesting couple of years, I'll tell you that.
0: Are you thinking of doing a second book at any point?
1: Definitely considering it. I I said actually last year that I was going to do more with my writing. Um, again, shout out to you, Jason, because I I published an op-ed on the Grio about something with things a lot closer to my work with the Alzheimer's Association, encouraging more African-Americans to get involved in clinical research because we are severely underrepresented in Alzheimer's research in particular, but many other uh, areas of research But um, I didn't really do as much with my writing last year as I thought I might do. Uh, This year has been a crazy, unusual, and challenging year on a lot of levels. And I've done a little bit, yeah, I mean, to say the least. And I've done more with some of my media aspirations, like starting All's Talk New York. But I'm definitely going to figure out how I can get that second book out because uh, I think for one – like lessons needs need an update in terms of like sort of the memoir aspects that i talked about in the first book um but also i just have more to add you know it's it's been some time since the first book was released and more interesting adventures have happened to this new yorker since then <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're you're in new york but you'll always be of the motor city that's the one thing I will
1: definitely
0: despite the fact that i've been in philadelphia for five years it's like Pretty much, as soon as somebody sees me, they'll see they'll see something Detroit on me to just kind of remind people. And the same thing goes with you. I will give you the opportunity here because you've got so many things <laughs> you want to get out there. If you want to plug anything, this is this is your canvas. Where would you like to be? <laughs>
1: well to kind of follow up on your last point i recently had someone say that i'm the representation of midwest meeting midtown so um that's a that's a perfect that's way great. to describe that's my great. philosophy on life. <laughs> so you know i really thank you jason for inviting me on your podcast i have been a loyal fan and follower especially on social media for a number of years you know I appreciate it so it's fun to have the opportunity to join you as a guest (laughs) I appreciate you too you've been you've been
0: here and I and I've wanted and yes oh it's his podcast he has friends of his you're damn right I do and I could do the same thing but no Chelsea honestly is one of the most dynamic people I know and it is when I say it's been long overdue to have her on here it's like Someone needed to add some class to this place because clearly I wasn't getting the job done. So we wanted to make sure I got her on here. But Chelsea, where can people A, find you? And obviously more information for, about these Alzheimer's Association, not just New York City, but of course around the country because this this podcast goes everywhere.
1: Sure, so I'll start with the Alzheimer's Association. It's a nationwide organization and we have a 24-7 helpline that's available day and night, 365. You can reach that number at 1-800-272-3900 and it is there for everyone, caregivers, people who have concerns about their own memory, um, facing perhaps what they feel like might be a diagnosis of their own. It's there for you whenever you need it. And so I really encourage everyone to call 1-800-272-3900. If they or a loved one is concerned about dementia in their own memories. Um, in addition, you can find me on Instagram at, at ladylikelessons. Lessons. It's the name of my book, Ladylike Lessons, which is available on Amazon.com. And uh, you can also find me on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. Um, on, on Facebook and Twitter, it's uh, closer to my own name, at Chelsea Lynn R. on Twitter. And uh, yeah, feel free to follow me on Facebook as well. It's Chelsea Lynn <laughs>
0: One in on Lynn. Just want to remember. To
1: yes. Unique. Yes. I have to emphasize that. You know, my parents wanted to be different. It was the 80s. They thought everybody needed to be unique. So, definitely, definitely <laughs> one in so on Chelsea
0: Lynn. And you're definitely unique <laughs> in so many ways. And it, but there's one in on Lynn. One one in on Lynn. Two D's on the last name. Chelsea Lynn Rutter. One who really, <laughs> I don't have a ton of close friends. <laughs> She's one of my closest friends, and I consider i consider this it's an honor to have you on here, and obviously I wish you the best all the time. We'll talk mm-hmm. more anyway, but I wish you the best all the time, and I should be safe up there in New York City, and at some point, when all this finally, hopefully, get a vaccine and we'll start to feel this thing, and a lot more, this has to happen in person a second time down the line. But I appreciate this so much, Chelsea. And not only that, I appreciate you just for being a legitimately good friend of mine for coming up on here. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that.
1: Like Jason, thank you so much, and thanks for having us again.
0: And there you have it. Another one in the books. I want to thank Chelsea Lynn Rudder so much for everything she's done. Not just thank her for the work that she's doing at the Alzheimer's Association. As you heard me say there, I just thanked her for being such a great person and an honestly a really good friend to me. You heard her information there. We'll have all her contact information is going to be sitting right in the description of this here podcast. So be sure to come in peace and if you want more information on the Alzheimer's Association work, be sure to check out the link that's currently sitting in the description of this here podcast. So I've mentioned by the way, that we've got something special coming up here on J. Scott Confidential. And I've talked about this for a while. And if there's one thing that you know about me, and if it's one thing you've noticed about this podcast, is that there's been a lot of time spent pumping up this YouTube page. Well, for those of you who happen to be checking out the YouTube page, you'll notice that coming very soon, we will have our first ever JSC Radio, J. Scott Confidential, JSC Media, whatever you like to call it, exclusive series on the YouTube page. It's going to be known as The Blueprint. The Blueprint will be a way to help people who want to get into podcasting. If you want to get into podcasting, if you're interested in starting your own show, if you're interested and maybe you've got a podcast that you're doing on the DIY side like me and you're trying to get better at it because this show's been around for almost 5 years which is really crazy to think about but been doing this for more than 4 years and I had to learn on the fly how to do it I'm self-taught in editing I've known how to I've known how to edit audio since 2003 I've been doing that for 17 years I've worked professionally in radio for 15 I teach journalism This series is going to be a combination of kind of how to become a better podcaster, especially for the DIYers out there. It's also going to be a little bit of a journalism lesson and a lesson in interviewing and helping you get better, ask better questions, hold better conversations, be able to do more with your show than just sit down in front of a microphone and talk. Plus, I can even give you some tips on some of the best equipment to use. Some of the best things to get a hold of if you want to build up your podcast. It's called The Blueprint. It will be right here on the J. Scott Confidential YouTube page, bit.ly slash jsctube. If you're hearing this, go subscribe on the page. If you're watching this right now, hit the subscribe button and ring that bell for those notifications because The Blueprint is coming real soon, and I want all of you to stay ready and be there when it jumps off. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 113th episode of The People's Podcast. Episode 114 will be coming soon. It'll be sometime in the early part of June. Can't give you a direct date because, you know, shit is crazy. But we will definitely let you know when that's coming. Keep it locked on the social media channels and also be on the lookout because the debut of The Blueprint will be coming within the next two weeks. My name's Jay Scott Smith, telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. And we are out of here. Plenty of thanks to Chelsea Lynn Rudder and everybody else who supported this show up and down the line we'll see you with episode 114 be safe out there don't go nowhere wear your mask shout out to miss erica quinn another one of my closest friends known her going back to renaissance high school for sending me that super cool detroit mask that i've shown you on my social media i'll I'll, you know what i'll drop her name in there hit her up at quinn artwork q u i two n's a r t w o r k on instagram teller j scott sent you until next time goodbye everybody social
1: distancing slows the spread of coronavirus so we should all stay home to lower the risk for everyone more info at coronavirus.gov let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together brought to you by the ad council
0: you're listening to the people's podcast so put that in your and with smoking this is j s c radio
1: the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded.
0: I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand.
1: I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head.
0: She killed herself.
1: And later killed the owner of the store he was
0: trying to rob.